The Redeemer's Tears Wept Over Lost Souls by John Howe Luke nineteen forty one and 42 And when he was come near, he beheld the city, and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. Continued. And there is more a special cause for such an apprehension upon the concurrence of such things as these. First, if the working of God's Spirit upon the soul of a man have been more than ordinarily strong and urgent, and do now cease, if there have been more powerful convictions, deeper humiliations, more awakened fears, more formed purposes of a new life, more fervent desires that are now all vanished and fled, and the sinner is returned to his old, dead, and dull temper. Second, if there be no disposition to reflect and consider the difference, no sense of his loss, but he apprehends such workings of spirit in him, unnecessarily troubles to him, and thinks it well he is delivered and eased of them. Third, if in the time when he was under such workings of spirit, he had made known his case to his minister or any godly friend, whose company he now shuns, as not willing to be put in mind or hear any more of such matters. Fourth, if hereupon he hath more indulged sensual inclination, taken more liberty, gone against the checks of his own conscience, broken former good resolutions, involved himself in the guilt of any grosser sins. Fifth, if conscience so baffled be now silent, lets him alone, grows more sluggish and weaker, which it must, as his lusts grow stronger. Sixth, if the same lively, powerful ministry which before affected him much, now moves him not. Seventh, if especially he has grown into a dislike of such preaching, if serious godliness and what tends to it are become distasteful to him, if discourses of God and Christ, of death and judgment, and of unholy life are reckoned superfluous and needless, are unsavory and disrelished, if he have learned to put disgraceful names upon things of this import, and the persons that most value them, and live accordingly, if he hath taken the seat of the scorner, and makes it his business to deride what he had once a reverence for, or took some complacency in. Eighth, if upon all this God withdraw such a ministry, so that he is now warned and admonished, exhorted and striven with as formerly, no more. Oh, the fearful danger of that man's case! Hath he no cause to fear, lest the things of his peace should be forever hid from his eyes? Surely he hath much cause of fear, but not of despair. Fear would in this case be his great duty, and might yet prove the means of saving him. Despair would be his very heinous and destroying sin, 
If yet he would be stirred up to consider his case, whence he is fallen, and whither he is falling, and set himself to serious seeking of God, cast down himself before him, abase himself, cry for mercy, as for his life, there is yet hope in his case. God may make here an instance what he can obtain of himself to do for a perishing wretch. But, number four, if with any that have lived under the gospel their day is quite expired, and the things of their peace now forever hid from their eyes, this is in itself a most deplorable case, and much lamented by our Lord Jesus himself. That the case is in itself most deplorable, who sees not? A soul lost, a creature capable of God, upon its way to him, near to the kingdom of God, shipwrecked in the port. O oh, sinner, from how high a hope art thou fallen? Into what depths of misery and woe? And that it was lamented by our Lord is in the text. He beheld the city. Very generally, we have reason to apprehend, inhabited by such wretched creatures, and wept over it. This was a very affectionate lamentation. We lament often, very heartily, many a sad case, for which we do not shed tears. But tears, such tears, falling from such eyes, the issues of the purest, the best-governed passion that ever was, showed the true greatness of the cause. Here could be no exorbitancy or unjust excess, nothing more than was proportionable to the occasion. There needs no other proof that this is a sad case than that our Lord lamented it with tears, which, that he did, we are plainly told, so that touching that, there is no place for doubt. All that is liable to question is whether we are to conceive in him any like resentments of such cases in his present glorified state. Indeed, we cannot think heaven a place or state of sadness or lamentation, and must take heed of conceiving anything there, especially on the throne of glory, unsuitable to the most perfect nature in the most glorious state. We are not to imagine tears there, which in that happy region are wiped away from inferior eyes. No grief, no sorrow, or sighing, which are all flood away and shall be no more, as there can be no other turbid passion of any kind. But when expressions that import anger or grief are used, even concerning God himself, we must sever in our conception everything of imperfection and ascribe everything of real perfection. We are not to think such expressions signify nothing, that they have no meaning, or that nothing at all is to be attributed to him under them. Nor are we again to think they signify the same thing with what we find in ourselves and are wont to express by those names. In the divine nature, there may be real and yet most serene complacency and displacency, that is, that are unaccompanied with the least commotion, and that import nothing of imperfection, but perfection rather, as it is a perfection to apprehend things suitably to what in themselves they are. 
The Holy Scriptures frequently speak of God as angry and grieved for the sins of men and their miseries which ensue therefrom. And a real aversion and dislike is signified thereby, and by many other expressions which in us would signify vehement agitations of affection, that we are sure can have no place in him. We ought, therefore, in our own thoughts, to ascribe to him that calm aversion of will, in reference to the sins and miseries of men in general, and in our own apprehensions, to remove to the utmost distance from him all such agitations of passion or affection, even though some expressions that occur carry a great appearance thereof, should they be understood according to human measures, as they are human forms of speech. As, to instance, in what is said by the glorious God himself, and very near in sense to what we have in the text, what can be more pathetic than that lamenting wish, Oh, that my people had hearkened unto me, and Israel had walked in my ways. But we must take heed, lest, under the pretense that we cannot ascribe everything to God that such expressions seem to import, we therefore ascribe nothing. We ascribe nothing if we do not ascribe to him a real unwillingness that men should sin on and perish, and consequently a real willingness that they should turn to him and live, which so many plain texts assert. And therefore it is unavoidably imposed upon us to believe that God is truly unwilling of some things, which he doth not think fit to interpose his omnipotence to hinder, and is truly willing of some things which he doth not put forth his omnipotence to effect. That he most fitly makes this the ordinary course of his dispensations towards men, to govern them by laws and promises and threatenings, made most express to them that live under the gospel, to work upon their minds, their hope, and their fear, affording them the ordinary assistances of supernatural light and influence, with which he requires them to comply, and which, upon their refusing to do so, he may most righteously withhold and give them the victory to their own ruin, though oftentimes he doth, from a sovereignty of grace, put forth that greater power upon others, equally negligent and obstinate, not to enforce, but effectually to incline their wills and gain a victory over them to their salvation. Nor is his will towards the rest altogether ineffectual, though it have not this effect. For whosoever thou art that livest under the gospel— Though thou dost not know that God so wills thy conversion and salvation as to effect it, whatsoever resistance thou now makest, though thou art not sure he will finally overcome all thy resistance and pluck thee as a firebrand out of the mouth of hell, yet thou canst not say his good will towards thee hath been without any effect at all tending thereto. He hath often called upon thee in his gospel to repent and turn to him through Christ. He hath waited on thee with long patience and given thee time and space of repentance. He hath within that time been often at work with thy soul. Hath he not many times let in beams of light upon thee? Shown thee the evil of thy ways? Convinced thee? Awakened thee? Half persuaded thee? 
and thou never hadst reason to doubt, but if thou hadst set thyself with serious diligence to work out thy own salvation, he would have wrought on, so as to have brought things to a blessed issue for thy soul. Thou mightest discern his mind towards thee to be agreeable to his word, wherein he hath testified to thee, he desired not the death of sinners, that he hath no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, or in the death of the wicked, but that he should turn and live, exhorted thee, expostulated with thee and others in thy condition, Turn ye, turn ye, why will ye die? He hath told thee expressly, Thy stubbornness and contending against him did grieve him and vex his spirit, that thy sin wherein thou hast indulged thyself hath been an abomination to him, that it was the abominable thing which his soul hated, that he was broken with the whorish heart of such as thou, and pressed therewith as a cart that was full of sheaves. Now, such expressions as these, though they are borrowed from man and must be understood suitably to God, though they do not signify the same thing with him as they do in us, yet they do not signify nothing. As when hands and eyes are attributed to God, they do not signify as they do with us, yet they signify somewhat correspondent as active and visible power. So these expressions, though they signify not in God such unquiet motions and passions as they would in us, they do signify a mind and will, really. Though, with the most perfect calmness and tranquility, set against sin and the horrid consequences of it, which yet, for greater reasons than we can understand, he may not see fit to do all he can to prevent. And if we know not how to reconcile such a will in God with some of our notions concerning the divine nature, shall we, for what we have thought of him, deny what he hath so expressly said of himself, or pretend to understand his nature better than he himself doth? And when we see from such express sayings in Scripture reduced to a sense becoming God, how God's mind stands in reference to sinners and their self-destroying ways, we may thence apprehend what temper of mind our Lord Jesus also bears towards them in the like case, even in his glorified state. For can you think there is a disagreement between him and the Father about these things? And whereas we find our blessed Lord in the days of his flesh, one, while complaining, men would not come to him that they might have life, John 5.40, elsewhere grieved at the hardness of their hearts, Mark 3.5, and here scattering tears over sinning and perishing Jerusalem. We cannot doubt but that the innocent perturbation, which his earthly state did admit, being severed, his mind is still the same in reference to cases of the same nature. For can we think there is any disagreement between him and himself? We cannot therefore doubt but that, first, he distinctly comprehends the truth of any such case. He beholds, from the throne of his glory above, all the treaties which are held and managed with sinners in his name, and what their deportments are therein. His eyes are as a flame of fire, wherewith he searches hearts and trieth reins. 
He hath seen, therefore, sinner, all along every time an offer of grace hath been made to thee, and been rejected. And thou hast slighted counsels and warnings that have been given thee, exhortations and entreaties that have been pressed upon thee for many years together, and how thou hast hardened thy heart against reproofs and threatenings, against promises and allurements, and beholds the tendency of all this, what is like to come of it, and that, if thou persist, it will be bitterness in the end. Second, that he hath a real dislike of the sinfulness of thy course. It is not indifferent to him whether thou obeyest or disobeyest the gospel, whether thou turn and repent or no, that he is truly displeased at thy trifling, sloth, negligence, impenitence, hardness of heart, stubborn obstinacy, and contempt of his grace, and takes real offense at them. Third, he hath real kind propensions towards thee, and is ready to receive thy returning soul, and effectually to mediate with the offending majesty of heaven for thee, as long as there is any hope in thy case. Fourth, when he sees there is no hope, he pities thee, while thou seest it not, and dost not pity thyself. Pity and mercy above are not names only. It is a great reality that is signified by them, and that hath place there, in far higher excellency and perfection than it can with us poor mortals here below. Ours is but borrowed and participated from that first fountain and original above. Thou dost not perish unlamented, even with the purest heavenly pity, though thou hast made thy case uncapable of remedy. As the well-tempered judge bewails the sad end of the malefactor, whom justice obliges him not to spare or save. And now let us consider what use is to be made of all this. And, though nothing can be useful to the persons themselves whom the Redeemer thus laments is lost, yet that he doth so may be of great use to others, which will partly concern those who do justly apprehend this is not their case, and partly such as may be in great fear that it is. Number 1. For such as have reason to persuade themselves, it is not their case. The best ground upon which any can confidently conclude this is that they have, in this their present day, through the grace of God, already effectually known the things of their peace, such, namely, as have sincerely with all their hearts and souls turned to God, taken Him to be their God, and devoted themselves to Him to be His. In trusting and subjecting themselves to the saving mercy and governing power of the Redeemer, according to the tenor of the gospel covenant, from which they do not find their hearts to swerve or decline, but resolve, through divine assistance, to persevere herein all their days. Now, for such as with whom things are already brought to that comfortable conclusion, I only say to them, first, rejoice and bless God that so it is. Christ your Redeemer rejoices with you and over you. You may collect it from his contrary resentment of their case who are past hope. If he weep over them, he no doubt rejoices over you. 
There is joy in heaven concerning you. Angels rejoice, your glorious Redeemer presiding in the joyful consort. And should not you rejoice for yourselves? Consider what a discrimination is made in your case. To how many hath that gospel been a deadly savor which hath proved a savor of life unto life to you? How many have fallen on your right hand and on your left, stumbling at that stone of offense, which to you is become the headstone of the corner, elect and precious? Whence is this difference? Did you never slight Christ, never make light of offered mercy? Was your mind never blind or vain? Was your heart never hard or dead? Were the terms of peace and reconciliation never rejected or disregarded by you? How should you admire victorious grace that would never desist from striving with you till it had overcome? You are the triumph of the Redeemer's conquering love, who might have been of his wrath and justice. Endeavor that your spirits may taste more and more the sweetness of reconciliation, that you may more abound in joy and praises. Is it not pleasant to you to be at peace with God? To find that all controversies are taken up between him and you? That you can now approach him and his terrors not make you afraid? That you can enter into the secret of his presence and solace yourselves in his assured favor and love. How should you joy in God through Jesus Christ, by whom you have received the atonement? What have you now to fear? If, when you were enemies, you were reconciled by the death of Christ, how much more, being reconciled, shall you be saved by his life? How great a thing have you to oppose to all worldly troubles? If God be for you, who can be against you? Think how mean it is for the friends of God, the favorites of heaven, to be dismayed at the appearance of danger that threatens them from the inhabitants of the earth. What if all the world were in a posture of hostility against you, when the mighty Lord of all is your friend? Take heed of thinking meanly of his power and love. Would anyone diminish to himself whom he takes for his God? All people will walk, every one in the name of his God. Why should not you much more in the name of yours, glorying in him and making your boast of him all the day long? Oh, the reproach which is cast upon the glorious name of the great God by their diffidence and despondency, who visibly stand in special relation to him, but fear the impotent malice of mortal man more than they can trust in his almighty love. If indeed you are justified by faith and have peace with God, it becomes you so to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God as also to glory in tribulation and tell all the world that in his favor stands your life and that you care not who is displeased with you for the things wherewith you have reason to apprehend he is pleased. Second, demean yourselves with that care caution, and dutifulness that becomes a state of reconciliation. 
Bethink yourselves that your present peace and friendship with God is not original and continued from thence, but hath been interrupted and broken. That your peace is not that of constantly innocent persons. You stand not in this good and happy state because you never offended, but as being reconciled, and who, therefore, were once enemies. And when you were brought to know, in that your day, which you have enjoyed, the things belonging to your peace, you were made to feel the smart and taste the bitterness of your having been alienated and enemies in your minds by wicked works. When the terrors of God did beset you round and his arrows stuck fast in you, did you not then find trouble and sorrow? Were you not in a fearful expectation of wrath and fiery indignation to consume and burn you up as adversaries? Would you not then have given all the world for a peaceful word or look, for any glimmering hope of peace? How wary and afraid should you be of a new breach! How should you study acceptable deportments and to walk worthy of God unto all well-pleasing? How strictly careful should you be to keep faith with him and abide steadfast in his covenant? How concerned for his interest? And in what agonies of spirit when you behold the eruptions of enmity against him from any others? Not from any distrust or fear of final prejudice to his interest, but from the apprehension of the unrighteousness of the thing itself and a dutiful love to his name, throne, and government. How zealous should you be to draw in others! How fervent in your endeavors within your own sphere, and how large in your desires, extended as far as the sphere of the universe, that every knee might bow to him and every tongue confess to him! They ought to be more deeply concerned for his righteous cause that remember they were once most unrighteously engaged against it, and ought besides to be filled with compassion towards the souls of men, yet in an unreconciled state, as having known the terrors of the Lord, and remembering the experienced dismalness and horror of that state, what it was to have divine wrath and justice armed against you with almighty power, and to have heard the thunder of such a voice, I lift my hand to heaven, and swear I live forever. If I whet my glittering sword, and my hand take hold on vengeance, I will recompense fury to mine adversaries, vengeance to mine enemies. Do you not know what the case is like to be? when potsherds that should strive but with the potsherds of the earth venture to oppose themselves as antagonists to omnipotency? And when briars and thorns set themselves in battle array against a consuming fire, how easily it can pass through and devour and burn them up together! And how much more fearful is their condition that know it not, but are ready to rush like the horse into battle! Do you owe no duty, no pity to them that have the same nature with you, and with whom your case was once the same? If you do indeed know the things of your peace, Godward, so as to have made your peace, to have come to an agreement and struck a covenant with him, you have now taken his side, are of his confederates, not as equals, but subjects. 
you have sworn allegiance to him and associated yourself with all them that have done so. There can hereupon be but one common interest to him and you. Hence, therefore, you are most strictly obliged to wish well to that interest and promote it to your uttermost in his own way, that is, according to his openly avowed inclination and design and the genuine constitution of that kingdom which he hath erected, and is intent to enlarge and extend further in the world. That you do well know is a kingdom of grace, for his natural kingdom already confines with the universe, and can have no enlargement without enlarging the creation. Whosoever they are that contend against him are not merely enemies, therefore, but rebels. And you see, he aims to conquer them by love and goodness, and therefore treats with them and seeks to establish a kingdom over them, in and by a mediator, who, if he were not intent upon the same design, had never lamented the destruction of any of them, and wept over their ruin, as here you find. So, therefore, should you long for the conversion of souls, and the enlargement of his kingdom this way, both out of loyalty to him and compassion towards them. Number 2. For such as may be in great fear, lest this prove to be their case. They are either such as may fear it, but do not, or such as are deeply afflicted with this actual fear. First, for the former sort who are in too great danger of bringing themselves into this dreadful, deplorable condition, but apprehend nothing of it. All that is to be said to them apart by themselves is only to awaken them out of their drowsy, dangerous slumber and security. And then they will be capable of being spoken to, together with the other sort. Let me therefore, one, demand of you, do you believe there is a Lord over you, yea or no? Use your thoughts, for about matters that concern you less you can think. Do you not apprehend you have an invisible owner and ruler that rightfully claims to himself an interest in you and a governing power over you? How came you into being? You know you made not yourselves. And if you yet look no higher than to progenitors of your own kind, mortal men as you are, how came they into being? You have so much understanding about you, if you would use it, as to know they could none of them make themselves more than you, and that therefore human race must have had its beginning from some superior maker. And did not he that made them make you and all things else? Where are your arguments to prove it was otherwise, and that this world and all the generations of men took beginning of themselves without a wise and mighty creator? Produce your strong reasons, upon which you will venture your souls and all the possibilities of your being happy or miserable to eternity. Will your imagination make you safe, and protect you against his wrath and justice, whose authority you will not own? Can you by it uncreate your Creator, and nullify the eternal being? Or have you anything else besides your own blind imagination to make you confident that all things came of nothing without any maker? 
But if you know not how to think this reasonable, and apprehend you must allow yourselves to owe your being to an almighty Creator, let me, too, ask of you how you think your life is maintained. Doth not he that made you live keep you alive? Whereas you have often heard that we all live and move and have our beings in him, doth it not seem most likely to you to be so? Have you the power of your own life? Do you think you can live as long as you will? At least, do you not find you need the common helps of meat and drink and air and clothing for the support and comfort of your lives? And are not all these his creatures as well as you? And can you have them, whether he will or not? 3. And how can you think that he that made and maintains you hath no right to rule you? If it were possible any one should as much depend upon you, would you not claim such power over him? Can you suppose yourselves to be under no obligation to please him, who hath done so much for you, and to do his will, if you can any way know it? 4. And can you pretend you have no means to know it? That book that goes up and down under the name of his word, can you disprove it to be his word? If such writing should now first come into the world, so sincere, so awful, so holy, so heavenly, bearing so expressly the divine image, avowing themselves to be from God, and the most wonderful works are wrought to prove them his word, the deaf made to hear, the blind to see, the dumb to speak, the sick healed, the dead raised, by a word only commanding it to be so. Would you not confess this to be sufficient evidence that this revelation came from heaven? And are you not sufficiently assured they are so confirmed? Do you find in yourselves any inclination to cheat your children in anything that concerns their well-being? Why should you more suspect your forefathers designed to cheat you in the mere reporting falsely a matter of fact? Was not human nature the same so many hundred years ago? Did ever the enemies of the Christian name in the earlier days of Christianity, when it was but a novelty in the world, and so much hated and endeavored to be rooted out, as ever any profession was, deny such matters of fact? Have not some of the most spiteful of them confessed it? Did not Christians then willingly sacrifice their lives by multitudes upon the assured truth of these things? Have they not been ever since most strictly careful to preserve these writings and transmit them, as wherein the all of themselves and their posterity was contained? And where is now your new light? Where are your later discoveries, upon which, so many ages after, you are able to convict these writings of falsehood, or dare venture to disbelieve them? 5. But if you believe these writings to be divine, how expressly is it told you, in them, what the state of your case is Godward, and what he requires of you? You may see you have displeased him, and how you are to please him, as hath been shown before in this discourse. You know that you have lived in the world mindless and inobservant of him, not trusting, fearing, 
loving or delighting in him, declining his acquaintance and converse, seeking your own pleasure, following your inclination, doing your own will, as if you were supreme, never minding to refer your actions to his precepts as your rule or to his glory as your end. And from that word of his, you may understand all this to be very displeasing to him, and that you can never please him by continuing this course, but by breaking it off and returning to him as your Lord and your God. That since your case did need a redeemer and reconciler, and he hath provided and appointed one for you, you are to apply yourselves to him, to commit and subject your souls to him, to trust in his merits and blood, and submit to his authority and government. And 6. Are you not continually called hereto by the gospel under which you have lived all this while, so that you are in actual, continual rebellion against him all the while you comply not with this call? Every breath you draw is rebellious breath. There is no moment wherein this lies not upon you by every moment's addition to your time. And that patience of his, which adds by moments to your life, and should lead you to repentance, is, while you repent not, perverted by you, only to the treasuring up of wrath against the day of wrath, and the revelation of his righteous judgment. 7. And do you not find, as his word also plainly tells you, a great averseness and disinclination in you to any such serious, solemn applying yourself to him and your Redeemer? Try your own hearts. Do you not find them draw back and recoil? If you urge them, do they not still fly off? How loath are you to retire, and set yourselves to consider your case? and unto serious seeking of God and Christ. Both from a reluctancy and indisposition to any such employment as this is itself, and from disaffection to that whereto it tends, the breaking off your former sinful course of life and entering upon a better. And does not all this show you the plain truth of what the word of God hath told you, that the Ethiopian may as soon change his skin, or the leopard his spots, as they do good who are accustomed to do evil. That you have a heart that cannot repent till God give you repentance to life, that you cannot come to Christ till the Father draw you. Do you not see your case, then, that you must perish if you have not help from heaven? If God do not give you his grace to overcome and cure the averseness and malignity of your nature? that things are likely thus to run on with you, as they have from day to day and from year to year, and you that are unwilling to take the course that is necessary for your salvation today are likely to be as unwilling tomorrow, and so your lives consume in vanity till you drop into perdition. But, 8. Dost thou not also know, sinner, that hath been so newly shown thee from God's word, that by thy being under the gospel thou hast a day of grace. Not only as offers of pardon and reconciliation are made to thee in it, but also as through it converting, heart-renewing grace is to be expected and may be had. 
that what is sufficient for the turning and changing of thy heart is usually not given all at once, but as gentler insinuations, the injection of some good thoughts and desires, are complied with, more powerful influences may be hoped to follow. That, therefore, thou art concerned upon any such thought cast into thy mind of going now to seek God for the life of thy soul, to strive thyself against thy own disinclination, that if thou do not, but yield to it, and still defer, it may prove mortal to thee. For is it not plain to thee in itself, and from what hath been said, that this day hath its limits, and will come to an end? Dost thou not know thou art a mortal creature, that thy breath is in thy nostrils? Dost thou not know how near thou art to the end of thy life, and how few breaths there may be for thee between this present moment and eternity? Dost thou not know thy day of grace may end before thy life end, that thou mayest be cast far enough out of the sound of the gospel? And if thou shouldest carry any notices of it with thee, thou who hast been so unapt to consider them while they were daily pressed upon thee, will most probably be less apt when thou hearest of no such thing. That thou mayest live still under the gospel, and the Spirit of grace retire from thee, and never attempt thee no more, for thy former despiting of it. For what obligation hast thou upon that blessed Spirit? Or why shouldst thou think a deity bound to attend upon thy triflings? And 9. If yet all this move not, consider what it will be to die unreconciled to God. Thou hast been his enemy. He hath made thee gracious offers of peace, waited long upon thee. Thou hast made light of all. The matter must at length end either in reconciliation or vengeance. The former is not acceptable to thee. Art thou prepared for the latter? Canst thou sustain it? Is it not a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God? Thou wilt not do him right. He must then write himself upon thee. Dost thou think he cannot do it? Canst thou doubt his power? Cast thine eyes about thee. Behold the greatness, as far as thou canst, of this creation of his, whereof thou art but a very little part. He that hath made that sun over thine head, and stretched out those spacious heavens, that hath furnished them with those innumerable bright stars, that governs all their motions, that hath hung this earth upon nothing, that made and sustains that great variety of creatures that inhabit it, can he not deal with thee, a worm? Can thine heart endure, or thine hands be strong if he plead with thee? if he surround thee with his terrors and set them in battle array against thee. Hell and destruction are open before him, and without covering, how soon art thou cast in and engulfed? Sit down, and consider whether thou be able with thy impotency to stand before him that comes against thee with almighty power. Is it not better to sue in time for peace?' But perhaps thou mayest say I begin now to fear it is too late. 
I have so long slighted the gospel, resisted the Holy Spirit of God, abused and baffled my own light and conscience, that I am afraid God will quite abandon me and cast me off forever. It is well if thou do indeed begin to fear. That fear gives hope. Thou art then capable of coming into their rank who are next to be spoken to, namely, second, such as feel themselves afflicted with the apprehension and dread of their having outlived their day, and that the things of their peace are now irrecoverably hid from their eyes. I desire to counsel such faithfully, according to that light and guidance which the gospel of our Lord affords us in reference to any such case. 1. Take heed of stifling that fear suddenly but labor to improve it to some advantage, and then to cure and remove it by rational evangelical means and methods. Do not, as thou lovest the life of thy soul, go about suddenly or by undue means to smother or extinguish it. It is too possible, when any such apprehension strikes into a man's mind, because it is a sharp or piercing thought, disturbs his quiet, gives him molestation and some torture, to pluck out the dart too soon and cast it away. Perhaps such a course is taken as doth unspeakably more mischief than a thousand such thoughts would ever do. He diverts, it may be, to vain company or to sensuality, talks or drinks away his trouble makes death his cure of pain, and, to avoid the fear of hell, leaps into it. Is this indeed the wisest course? Either thy apprehension is reasonable or unreasonable. If it should prove a reasonable apprehension, as it is a terrible one, would the neglect of it become a reasonable creature or mend thy case? If it should be found unreasonable, it may require time and some debate to discover it to be so. Whereby, when it is manifestly detected, with how much greater satisfaction is it laid aside? Labor, then, to inquire rightly concerning this matter. 2. In this inquiry, consider diligently what the kind of that fear is that you find yourselves afflicted with. The fear that perplexes your heart must some way correspond to the apprehension you have in your mind touching your case. Consider what that is, and in what form it shows itself there. Doth it appear in the form of a peremptory judgment, a definitive sentence which you have passed within yourself concerning your case, that your day is over, and that you are a lost creature, or only of a mere doubt, lest it should prove so. The fear that corresponds to the former of these makes you quite desperate and obstinately resolute against any means for the bettering of your condition. The fear that answers to the latter apprehension hath a mixture of hope in it, which admits of somewhat to be done for your relief and will prompt thereunto. Labor to discern which of these is the present temper and posture of your spirit. 3. If you find it to be the former, let no thought any longer dwell in your mind, under that form, namely, as a definitive sentence concerning your state. 
you have nothing to do to pass such a judgment. The tendency of it is dismal and horrid, as you may yourself perceive. And your ground for it is none at all. Your conscience within you is to do the office of a judge, but only of an under-judge, that is, to proceed strictly by rule, prescribed and set by the sovereign Lord and arbiter of life and death. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Nor is your conscience as an under-judge to meddle at all, but in cases within your cognizance. This about your final state is a reserved, accepted case, belonging only to the supreme tribunal, which you must take heed how you usurp. As such a judgment tends to make you desperate, so there will be a high presumption in this despair. Dare you take upon you to cancel and nullify to yourself the obligation of the evangelical law? And whereas that makes it your duty to repent and believe the gospel, to absolve yourself from this bond and say, it is none of your duty, or make it impossible to you to do it. You have matter and cases enough within the cognizance of your conscience, not only the particular actions of your life, but your present state also, whether you be as yet in a state of acceptance with God through Christ, yea or no. And here you have rules set you to judge by. But concerning your final state, or that you shall never be brought into a state of acceptance, you have no rule by which you can make such a judgment. And therefore this judgment belongs not to you. Look then upon the matter of your final condition as an exempt case reserved to the future judgment, and the present determination whereof against yourself is without your compass and line, and most unsuitable to the state of probation wherein you are to reckon God continues you here with the rest of men in this world. And therefore, any such judgment you should tear and reverse, and as such not permit to have any place with you. 4. Yet since, as hath been said, you are not quite to reject or obliterate any apprehension or thought touching this subject, make it your business to correct and reduce it to that form, that is, let it only for the present remain with you as a doubt how your case now stands and what issue it may at length have, and see that your fear thereupon be answerable to your apprehension so rectified. While as yet it is not evident you have made your peace with God upon his own terms, you are to consider God hath left your case a doubtful case, and you are to conceive of it accordingly, and are to entertain a fear concerning it, not as certainly hopeless, but as uncertain. And as yours is really a doubtful case, it is a most important one. It concerns your souls and your eternal well-being, and is not therefore to be neglected or trifled with. You do not know how God will deal with you, whether he will again afford you such help as he hath done, or whether ever he will effectually move your heart unto conversion and salvation. You therefore are to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, because, as was told you, he works but of his own good pleasure. Your fear should not exceed this state of your case so as to exclude hope. 
It is of unspeakable concernment to you that hope do intermingle with your fear. That will do much to mollify and soften your hearts, that after all the abuse of mercy and imposing upon the patience of God, your neglects and slights of a bleeding Savior, your resisting and grieving the Spirit of grace, he may yet once for all visit your forlorn soul with his vital influence and save you from going down to perdition. How can your hearts but melt and break upon this apprehension? and it is not a groundless one. He that came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance will not fail to treat them well, whom he sees beginning to listen to his call and entertaining the thoughts that most directly tend to bring them to a compliance with it. Your hope, insinuating itself and mingling with your fear, is highly grateful to the God of all grace. He takes pleasure in them that fear him, and in them that hope in his mercy. 5. But see to it also that your fear be not slight and momentary, and that it vanish not, well as yet it hath so great a work to do in you, namely, to engage you to accept God's own terms of peace and reconciliation with all your heart and soul. It is of continual use, even not only in order to conversion, but to the converted also. Can you think those mentioned words were spoken to none such? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Or those, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. And do we not find a holy fear is to contribute all along to the whole of progressive sanctification? Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And that by it he preserves his own, that they never depart from him. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them, that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. Much more do you need it in your present case, while matters are yet in treaty between God and you. And as it should not exceed the true apprehension of your case, so nor should it come short of it. 6. You should therefore, in order here too, Aggravate to yourself the just causes of your fear. Why are you afraid your day should be over, and the things of your peace be forever hid from your eyes? Is it not that you have sinned against much light, against many checks of your own consciences, against many very serious warnings and exhortations, many earnest, importunate beseechings and entreaties you have had in the ministry of the gospel, many motions and strivings of the Spirit of God thereby. Let your thoughts dwell upon these things. Think what it is for the great God, the Lord of glory, to have been slighted by a worm. Doth not this deserve as ill things at the hands of God as you can fear? 
It is fit you should apprehend what your desert is, though perhaps mercy may interpose and avert the deserved dreadful event. And if he have signified his displeasure towards you hereupon, by desisting for the present, and ceasing to strive with you as he hath formerly done, if your heart be grown more cold and dead and hard than some time it was, if you have been left so as to fall into grosser sin, it is highly reasonable you should fear being finally forsaken of the blessed Spirit of God, and greatly fear it, but with an awful fear that may awaken you most earnestly to endeavor his return to you, not with a despairing fear that will bind you up from any further endeavor for your soul at all. And if upon all this, by death or otherwise, such a ministry be withdrawn from you, as God did work by in some degree upon you, and you find not in that kind what is so suitable to your state and case, take heed, lest you be stupid under such a stroke. Think what it imports unto you, if God have, as it were, said concerning any servant of his, as Ezekiel 3.26, I will make his tongue cleave to the roof of his mouth, that he shall not be a reprover to you any more. Consider that God may by this be making way, that wrath may come upon you to the uttermost, and never let you have opportunity to know more the things of your peace. Perhaps you may never meet with a man more that shall speak so accommodately to your condition, that shall so closely pursue you through all the haunts and subterfuges and lurking holes wherein your guilty, convinced soul hath want to hide itself and falsely seek to heal its own wounds. One of more value may be less apt possibly to profit you as a more polished key doth not therefore alike fit every lock. And thy case may be such that thou shalt never hear a sermon or the voice of a preacher more. 7. And now in this case recollect yourselves what sins you have been formerly convinced of under such a ministry, and which you have persisted in notwithstanding. Were you never convinced of your neglecting God, and living as without Him in the world? Of your low esteem and disregard of Christ? Of your worldliness, your minding only the things of this earth? Of your carnality, pride, self-seeking, voluptuousness, your having been lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God? Or your unprofitableness in your station, wherein you ought to have lived more conformably to Christian rules and precepts, according to the relations wherein God hath set you? Were you never convinced how very faulty governors you have been, or members of families, parents or masters, children or servants? What will this come to at last? What convictions have hitherto signified and served for nothing but increase of guilt? This audio recording was read by Michael Ives. I hope you found it enlightening and edifying. Visit westportexperiment.com for more audio resources and where I write about parish missions, the care of souls, and all things Reformed.